2 Timothy chapter 4, if you will, we'll be looking verses 9 through the end of the chapter. This is what uh, scholars will call a conventional ending to an ancient letter. It's just like how they always ended them. And so often what we do is we get to this section and we go, okay, I don't know those names anyway. Let's move on to Titus. But it's one of my favorite sections because Paul becomes so beautifully human. He becomes like us. We kind of have this Superman view of him. He's wearing a cape and nothing gets him. And he's John Wayne and he's bulletproof and he's 20 foot tall and nothing gets him down. But this this passage makes you know that that's not true. There's a lot of names in it. It sounds like a phone book. For those of you who are younger, let me explain what a phone book is. Used to get it in the mail. Everybody who had a mailbox, you get it in the mail and you open it up. Everybody who has a phone, their name is listed and their phone number. Yeah, everybody. It was mailed to you. No privacy back then, right? So this sounds like a phone book. All these names that most of most of we don't know much about these people. And so as we read them, we're like, means nothing to me, means nothing to me. But it's important that we get a context for Paul, right? And then, and then as he, and he finishes up, it's like, a, it's like a sermon at the end of it. You remember when we only had songbooks and the preacher said that, that set of words that indicated that it was the invitation coming. Do you all remember this? And all the songbooks came out of the song racks, every one of them, because you knew the words. You knew it was over, so I'm, I don't need to hear anything else. Here's the invitation. And all the songbooks came out, and all across there was a wave of shoo, as the songbooks came out, and that's the end of the sermon. That's how people do these last, but you, 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 you're missing something. Don't miss this last part Second Timothy, and just in case you get lost in all the details, Paul uses repetition to point out what he's saying. I want you to notice it in verse 17. He says, well, I can't find verse 17. I'm just going to look at the screen. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Then, verse later, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil. That's past tense and present tense. And then the Lord be with your spirit, verse 22. So all the way through this, he's saying, hey, I want you to know, it sounds a little bit dire. In fact, as we read this passage, you hear the anger, the gritting of Paul's teeth. You hear the loneliness. You hear some sadness. You hear some worry in Paul's voice. And yet in all that, he says, but the Lord's with me. The Lord's with me. I, I, if I could just get one thing through this way, it'd be this. If you want to learn to already trust God as time is happening in real life, learn to look back and recognize where he's been in the past. If you can learn to see God in the past, you'll learn to anticipate him in the future, and much of your worry and fretfulness goes away, but you've got to see it. And that's what Paul is doing in this section. The Lord stood by me. And there's lots of things that were happening to him. First of all, Paul is on death row. We know that from verses 6 through 8. Yeah, Paul's on death row. He knows it's coming. My life is being poured out right now as a, as a drink offering, and the time for my departure has come. He's on death row. His death date is circled, and it's coming fast, and he knows it. And yet, and yet with all that, he says, the Lord was with me. He was experiencing betrayal. I want you to see that in verse 10. A man named Demas, into whom Paul had poured his very being. Paul is a trainer of preachers and missionaries, and he's got all these people around him, and he's investing time and energy into these people. And he has one in particular named Demas. 
you look back at Colossians and Ephesians, you'll find that he was a great servant with Paul. He's a co-worker with Paul. But now, here in 2 Timothy, he says, Demas, he's abandoned us. He fell in love with the present world, and he's gone back home. Trying to see what this would be like. The word mentioned of Demas, he's in love with the present world, is the same word in verse 8 that the people who are re- receive the reward from God are lo- in love with the appearing of Christ. I'm in love with the future. I'm in love with that future Christ has for me. And you choose one or the other. You choose the present world to invest your life in, or you choose the Christ world to put your treasures in. And those are the choices. And everything, every decision you make flows out of one of those two loves. And we've got to remind each other, hey, church, we are not in love with this present world. We are in love with a world of the future that God is in control of and bringing about in reality. Don't get your loves messed up. Demas did, and he went back into the world. Here's what that would be like. Last Sunday, for some reason, it just struck me. I guess it was Christmas Day or something, and Randy Simpkins was up here doing the Lord's Supper presentation. And I, I, I just find Randy Simpkins to be one of those people easy to love. Anybody feel that way? Just That's why he hugs everybody. Maybe that's part of the reason. But it, it seems like every week there's, there's text between us about Bible questions. I'm stumped by something. I asked Randy. He's stumped by something. I asked, he asked me because... It's, it's then, if, if it stumps Randy, it's an unknowable question, right? But I'll play around like I know something. And I have these questions, and I admire his faithfulness. I saw him up here doing the Lord's Supper, and I thought, I am so grateful that I share a faith with that man. I'm so grateful on those days when I question myself, am I insane to believe all this? Is it crazy for me to believe the Christian faith? And I say to myself, well, this doesn't mean you're not crazy, but, 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 but what is it to know that if I'm crazy, Randy Simpkins is crazy? If, if I'm crazy and he's crazy, Terry and Paul are crazy. And, and, and all of you who gather here on Sundays, your faith matters to me. When I see that you believe it enough to live your life around it, and we come together, and I see George here, and I see what George does for his faith, when I see Mary Lee and how she's living her life for her faith, when I see Anna Brown and what she does for her faith, and Alfreda Davis and what she does with her faith, and I know I'm not crazy. These are quality good people, and part of my faith is built on them. And those days when I'm like, is this nuts? No, it's not. Look at these other people, and we all believe this. And Paul feels that way about his coworkers. But what happens... What happens if next Sunday, by next Sunday, we find out that Randy Simpkins has rejected it all and gone back into the world? What will that do to you? What would it do to you? Somebody you knew that was solid. It's not that you built their, your faith on them. I'm not saying that I believe because they believe. I'm saying they, they bolster and they encourage and they give you more confidence. But, but what happens when those people that you know you can count on, and you absolutely, you kinda, they, they do bolster, they do encourage your faith, and then all of a sudden they reject it. What does that make you feel? How would that affect you? That's how Paul felt. Listen, church, your faith matters to me. 
It's not just about you and your walk. It matters to everybody in here. And we all need each other to believe. And when somebody gives it up, that hurts. And that kind of rattles you. I don't know if you remember those people that were your peers and they got married about the same time you did. And then one of them, one of them after 20 or 30 years divorces. It just rattles you. It's not like your, your marriage is undermined by that. It just rattles you. I thought we believed the same things. Paul feels a little, a little betrayed. And yet, in that betrayal, the Lord is standing by him. Paul feels lonely. You'll notice right after he mentions Demas in verse 10, he says, uh, others have gone too. Um, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. These are not people who deserted the faith, but they, they're with Paul, they're part of his team, and then they leave. And it's, it's a good thing. He wants them to leave. He wants them to go out there and share the faith with the world, but he starts feeling this loneliness. Listen, here's the thing about fellowship. If fellowship is all that important, when part of our fellowship moves away, it It hurts. He feels this sense of loneliness. Now, when he says, only Luke is with me, he's saying, I'm just stuck here with Luke. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying, I'm feeling lonely. Anybody ever felt that way? You ever felt lonely in the middle of a congregation? And yet, while he felt like nobody was around, the Lord at that moment was standing with him. Because what Paul says is, the Lord has stood by me the whole time. He, he sees that at the end, but now he's saying that to say, you know what, I'm, the whole time he was with me. Sometimes you don't feel it, you just have to know it. And Paul says that, all right? So he's lonely. He's feeling the opposition. He mentions Alexander here. Alexander was mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 1 as someone he had to reprimand of the faith, hand it over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme stuff. And so Alexander is one who not only has left the faith, but now is starting to oppose the faith. And Paul apparently feels this intense animosity toward Alexander. I'm figuring Alexander's the one who's, who's opposing him all the time. He's opposing the truth. Everything Paul's doing, Alexander is undoing. He's working against Paul. He's hurting Paul's cause. And he even tells Timothy, when you come down here, avoid that guy. He can do great damage. He feels this bitterness, and he's given it to God. This is the only time you see Paul really express himself quite this strongly. And so he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him for his deed. You ever been opposed by somebody who just for whatever reason felt like their job was to undermine you constantly? Talk about you all the time? Paul feels opposed. And yet, even at that moment, he feels the Lord standing with him. He feels deserted, abandoned. He mentions that he's giving his defense before Caesar. So there's a certain process they went through as he as you know this is his last letter he appealed to Caesar and it's a capital case and so he gets to defend himself and as he gets to defend himself he can have other people there to support him he can have people stand with him to give him some strength and yet he said when I had my chance to defend myself before all my accusers not one of my believers fellow believers stood with me they all deserted me how creepy must that feel 
It's not, the way he describes it, it's not because they weren't available to, it's because they were available and chose not to. They didn't have the sense of security and confidence to be able to stand there under the circumstances that Paul is facing. He felt deserted. He felt loss and concern. Greet the family of Onesiphorus. You know what? Onesiphorus was a faithful worker of the church who had died. His family still survived him, and he was just saying, greet that family. And then another person he worked with was very ill the last time he saw him, and he was gravely concerned about him, but he had no news about him. When the church has a worker, a worker that does great stuff like Onesiphorus did for the church back then, and then that worker is taken from them in death. No, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. But there's a great big gap we feel, very similar to what we feel without Mac Ramsey today. Am I worried about Mac Ramsey's soul? No. But I sure feel the hole that his presence has left. Paul feels it too. And yet, in the midst of that loss and concern, the Lord was standing with him. How can you say that? You ever go through seasons like this? Any one of these things. We have people right now, lost loved ones, even in the last week. They fit, they fit this. Maybe you've had people that you trusted in their faith and they've turned on their faith. There are people who attended here at Valley View the last couple years who are no longer here. Do you feel any sense of betrayal or abandonment from them? Does anybody feel that? There's this sense, all these feelings that Paul's feeling and expressing in this section, he's still saying in the midst of all that, God is with me. How in the world does God stand with us in seasons like this? Well, Paul reveals it in a couple of things. Notice verse 14 and verse 16. The Lord tells us that if you'll just trust me with some of the stuff that you're experiencing, I'm going to I am going to show up and I'm going to help you. I'm going to promise you my participation. If you will trust my words, I'm going to make a trade with you. When you're angry, when you're so angry you want to get revenge on somebody for something they're doing, will you please just leave vengeance to me? Here's what he says in Romans chapter 12. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, leave wrath for God. It's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. God says, when you feel that sense of anger rising up in you and lack of forgiveness, I want you to give that entire feeling to me. And when you give your vengeance, your right to return evil for evil, when you give that to me, I will give you peace and I'll take care of the justice. But you can't know that God's going to do that until you obey him. The greatest hermeneutic, the greatest interpretation of Scripture is obedience. Do what he says. So Paul learned. That's why he says in this letter, uh, the Lord will repay him according to, I'm just going to give it to God. And he gives it to God, and he has a peace in his heart. And then there are people who disappoint him too. They didn't, they didn't stand with him, and he said, Lord, forgive them. Don't hold it against them. He practiced a Jesus on the cross thing. And here's what Jesus did. In 1 Peter chapter 2, when he was reviled, he did not revile in turn. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus preached that, and then Jesus practiced that, and then he expects us to preach that and us to practice that. And when we practice it, God does a trade-off with us. 
You do what I tell you to, and I'll restore that peace to you and give you the ability to forgive. But you've got to give me the vengeance. Paul in his ministry is practicing that, and he's discovered, guess what? The Lord is with him. If he'll just trust the Lord, the Lord will do what he says. Here's the second clue you see in the passage. God gave you a mission. You have a mission too. It's called the commission, we call it today. But Paul had a mission. His mission was to take the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. He's our special Gentile um, apostle, right? So this mission is all the way through this passage. When you come to see me, Timothy, you bring John Mark. He's useful for my ministry. Do you realize he's doing a prison ministry right now? He's in jail. He's got limited mobility. And yet Paul says, I've still got a ministry to do. Now, what kind of context? You're not responsible ever for, well, you could be sometimes. You're not responsible for the circumstances you're in, but you are responsible for doing mission in whatever circumstance you're in. So Paul's in prison, and yet he's still got a ministry, and it's still on his mind, and he's still longing to do it, and he's still trying to work from prison. Not only that, but he's mad at Alexander because he's messing with that message. And then he says, I had to stand before these Gentiles. And what does he share with them? The Lord stood by me, strengthened me, so that through me the message, verse 17, might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. I was so nervous. There was nobody standing with me. I was on my own, and I was wondering, how am I going to do this? And in the middle of that, in the middle of all that tension and stress and loneliness and neglect from all my fellow believers, I preached the gospel in defense of myself, and all those Gentiles heard it. It's an amazing thing. I just did my job. The mission from God is a burden on us, but it's also a blessing. There's this verse from Jesus, Matthew chapter 10. He tells all his disciples as he's about to send them out. He says, beware of men. They'll deliver you over to courts. They'll flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings. And that's exactly where Paul is. To bear witness before them. And the Gentiles. That's what you're, you're, you're actually bearing witness for me before Gentiles. And when they deliver you over, don't be anxious how you're to speak or what you're to say or what you're to say for what, for what you are to say will be given you in that hour. It is not you who speak, but the Spirit of God speaking through you. When you get there and you're sitting here all nervous and worried, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? Don't you worry about it. I'm going to take charge. My Spirit in you is going to speak through you. Here's the thing about this promise. You can't know he's going to do that until you're put in that spot. You just can't know. We all sit here and debate, is that a promise for today or not? Well, get yourself in that spot and see. Get yourself in that spot where you're like, I don't know what I'll say. I don't know if I can. Well, get yourself in that spot and see if God comes through for you or not. That's the whole premise, right? So many times we never know if God will come through or not because we won't put ourselves on the line. Give it a shot. See what happens. Go to that family reunion where they're debating the Christian faith all the time. See if you'll be given the words or not. Go for it. Why not? What are you holding back for? And so Paul says, I've got this mission and this job to do. And what do you know? When I stood there and there was nobody but God, God was all I needed. When you're standing there and all you got is God, 
All you'll need is God. How do you know? You just got to do it. It's a burden and a grace. Are you in prison? You got a job to do. Are you in the nursing home? You've got a job to do. Are you in the hospital and nobody can stay with you overnight and you're there for a couple of days and nobody's necessarily with you for a very long time? You've got a job to do. You're salt and light. You've got a mission. There's never a moment when you're not on mission. And when God gives you the mission, he gives you his presence. Now, I'm channeling my deeper Mary Lee here for a moment. So here you are. Get your pen out because this is good. If you're doing, if you're, if you're, you're, if you're doing God's work, he's doing it too. Stand for him, he'll stand for you. That's the whole thing. You put yourself, you get out there and work, and whenever, whatever context you're in, if you're doing the job, if you're on mission, God's right there with you, standing with you to do it. His promise of help, his promise of mission the third way you'll see God standing for you and standing with you is in His Word. There are so many scholars who are going to tell you 2 Timothy is not Paul's. Neither is 1 Timothy and neither is Titus. It's all a later writer because so many of the words are not words Paul would normally use. And so they're compelling to each other, but they're not compelling to a lot of us who think, you know, I think this scripture is right. But why... Why would there be so many unique words in this section? This particular section, from 9 to the end of the letter, there are a lot of words Paul doesn't use anywhere else. It's like he's channeling a different person. But I'm wondering, okay, first of all, there's a lot of personal stuff in here that if you're a fake writer, you wouldn't risk doing. But here's the second thing. The words he uses so much in this section that he uses nowhere else are not found in Paul, but they are found in another passage of Scripture. Psalm 22. It's almost as if Paul is meditating on Psalm 22 so deeply and so seriously that when he starts dictating this letter to his letter writer, Psalm 22 words come out. He can't help it. When that's what you're thinking about and that's what you're meditating on, it's going to come out. God's word, when it's in your head and you're thinking about it, it's going to start coming out of your mouth in your life. And so he starts using the words like, he delivered me from the lion. He saved me. These words that are in this section are in Psalm 22. Why would that be? When David wrote it, his first line, does anybody know what the first line of Psalm 22 is? I'll give you a chance to say it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The entire psalm is David feeling like, I'm not feeling God's presence. I know he's here, but I don't feel it. And he writes this psalm and he processes his thoughts this way. And, and so he does it. And then somebody later on uses that. Can anybody remember who else used it? Jesus on the cross. What do you know? When he's up there and he's feeling that way, he uses that script. Well, isn't it, isn't it reasonable for Paul when he's feeling that way for him to go back into Scripture and use that Scripture to be his script for how he deals with it? And suddenly it starts coming out of his mouth. So when you're feeling that way, guess what you should do? Ta-da! What should you do? Go to Psalm 22. There's another Mary Lee moment. What should you do? Go to Psalm 22. But that's not the only one. Look at verse 18. Strange line for Paul. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. And then verse 18. The Lord 
said, 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. He delivered me from evil. That's what the Greek says. The Lord delivered me from evil. Does that sound like anything you've ever heard before? Like a line from the Lord's Prayer? Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Do you think Jesus, do you think he's meditating on the Lord's Prayer? And you might say, well, the Lord's Prayer isn't in existence yet. First Timothy, he's already quoted Luke. And I'm wondering, did he know the prayer of Jesus? So that at this moment, it's just a natural moment for him to quote it. I think it's very possible scholars all say, well, it sure looks like it, right? I, I don't see why not. He's meditating on God's Word. He's praying God's Word. And that tells me when you rely on God's Word for your strength, it's the Lord standing with you. That's how He does it. And when you pray to Him, it's the Lord standing with you. So why not do it? He's right there at a moment. Notice one last thing He uses, and that's people, flesh. I want you to notice what the point of this, this passage is. If you're talking about, there's a lot of extra stuff, but here's the point of it. Timothy, get here quick. Verse 9. I need you. Only Luke is with me. I need you, Timothy. Grab Mark on your way. Boy, I could use him too. Run by Troas on your way down here and get my cloak and get my books and my parchments. But be very careful. Dodge Alexander on the way or you'll never make it. Before you leave, greet those special people that I love dearly, Priscilla and Aquila and all those people from the last part of the letter. And then, book it down here before winter because I'm not going to be here much longer. That's what he's saying in this section. He is saying, Timothy, I love that God's with me, but I need you here. I need you, God with skin on. Timothy, you are God with flesh, and I need you here with me. He doesn't sit there and go, you know, if the church really had their discernment gift going, they would know I need somebody and send me somebody. They wouldn't. Do we have a fellowship that's strong enough? That when you're in need, you can call somebody else and just say, I need you here with me. Or do we sit back and go, how long is it going to take for that church to have a member here at my house to see me and to know I needed to... You ever had somebody go in the hospital and not tell anybody and then get mad for not going to be seen at the hospital? It's a weird thing. You are God with skin on to each other. This fellowship matters. This this interaction that we have right here matters. We need each other. And sometimes those moments, you just need to call somebody and say, I, I need you here with me. And if somebody calls you and tells you that, go. This is why, I say this to COVID doctors, right? This is why isolation will always cost more than it saves. It will always cost more than it saves to be away from each other. And so he asked for Timothy, I need some people. And he went, at least I'm assuming so. The Lord stands by his people. There's an interesting thing going on right now in this room you don't even see. There are sound waves floating through this room, just like crazy. If you could see them, it would be, you'd be dodging. You'd be doing this, right? There's even video waves going through here, right? And, and you can't see them, but it fills this room. They're everywhere, but you can't hear them, you can't see them. But if I had a transistor radio right here, I'd turn it on, and suddenly you would hear the sound waves that are going on in this room. 
But otherwise, without a transistor radio, you don't even know it. All that activity is going on, crazy activity going on, you have no clue about. And I am telling you what Paul is saying is, we as Christians need to have spiritual discernment because God is with us all the time, doing things for us, making himself available to us, and we are just not aware of it. We've got to train ourselves to be aware that God is on standby all the time. He's right there, and we don't call upon him and don't realize it. Here's how he does it. When you're obeying him, he is serving you. When you're angry and you don't know what to do with it, you say, I'm just going to give it to God. God takes it out of your heart, replaces it with a form of peace, and he takes care of that justice. You don't even know it. And there's no vacuum sound to let you know that it's happening. No, you don't hear that. You just obey. He's involved in your life right now. Or at least he wants to be. Then he's got a mission for you. At every moment, whatever it is you're doing, whatever you're engaged in, there's another, there's another second layer to it. It's a mission from God to serve him and to represent him in the world. And then in his word. And the more you know it, the more you discern it, the more that you benefit from it. And, it's, and he ministers to you through that. And then his people. And right this minute, you're being served powerfully by the other people sitting in this auditorium and between the end of the service and the time you leave you've got opportunity to be god with skin on to each other and when that happens it's god god is standing by there's a song acapella sings god is standing by so hush don't worry god is standing by this morning, I can't think of a better reason why every person on this earth should be a Christian than this one. Those who've responded to God get the forgiveness of their sins, and that's a wonderful thing. Peace results. Access to God's throne at any time, that results. And God says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am on standby all the time. And for those of you who are Christians, just keep reminding yourself of this. Make yourself conscious of it. And those who are not, why wouldn't that compel you to be one? Why wouldn't that compel you to name the name of Jesus from your lips and be immersed and rise to walk a new life? And this morning, that opportunity is presented to yourself once more as we stand and as we sing together.